Hello and welcome back. My name is Luke and you're listening to another episode of the Next Stage podcast by WebSummit. Our next talk features the co-founder of one of the most innovative payment companies in the world. John Collison founded Stripe with his brother Patrick back in 2009. And since then, they've overseen a meteoric rise that has made them one of the biggest unicorns in America. Here he is speaking at our Asian event, Rise, about the company's journey and Stripe's move east. John, thank you so much for being here. It's fantastic to have one of the most innovative companies in the world in payments. And we'd love just to to get your perspective a little bit on Stripe. Thanks for having me. So uh, yeah, as you know, Stripe, we're building uh, infrastructure for the internet economy. And so uh, any startups here in Hong Kong might be, might be familiar with us, might have used us. Uh, we started in the US, making it easy for companies to uh, set up, start accepting payments, run their business. Uh, and in the past year, we've now launched in Singapore, Japan, and Hong Kong. Uh, and we're continuing to expand throughout Asia. So we're pretty excited to be here. And, and when you're, t- you know, last year you announced the, uh, the expansion into Japan and also into Singapore. Singapore. Can you talk a little bit more about your plans for Asia and what drives those plans? Sure. Uh, So this international expansion for us has always been a very natural part of the plan, right? Because we want to help people start and run global businesses, not just domestic businesses. Uh, That that, that has always been uh, uh, kind of core to the Stripe mission of growing the online economy. Uh, However, In contrast to some companies you see where there's sort of this land grab mode to international expansion, we try to very much make sure that the the product experience is right and that we're actually launching something that's localized for the the markets we're entering. And so we have been beta testing in Hong Kong for the past two years, uh, and we ended up changing the product as a result of that, you know, adding uh, support for running your business in US dollars, which is very important to Hong Kong startups. And uh, as of yesterday, we announced support for uh, Alipay and WeChat pay on a global basis, which is obviously going to be very important. Which was absolutely a fantastic announcement. And maybe you can just elaborate a little bit on the drivers. Are you seeing more and more cross-border transactions and payments? Sure. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, the need for this is pretty apparent. There are 4 billion uh, internet-connected uh, uh, consumers globally, and uh, Alipay has 520 million users. Uh, WeChat Pay has 600 million users. And, and so for the need for this uh, is very apparent. One of the things we noticed, and honestly, one of the driving factors behind Stripe, is the fact that if you are trying to run a global business, uh, unlike in the offline world, where you know the, the consumer in front of you probably has cash and probably has a means to pay you, in the online world, you know, if you ask a company wh- why why they haven't entered China, for example. Oftentimes, the reason is actually because they mechanically cannot exchange value with the, uh, w- with, with the person they're trying to sell to, which we think is, is, is crazy, personally. And so uh, we're on this long-term goal to let people build global businesses. We see this in Hong Kong, by the way. And so over the, over the period where we've been beta testing prior to launch, we noticed that 60% of our beta users uh, actually get a majority of their sales from overseas. So that's something that's actually pretty different about the Hong Kong market versus, say, our, our US sellers, is they tend to be much more globally focused than, uh, than domestically focused. And that's something we've seen, say, in Singapore as well. And I think it's something common to the, the Southeast Asian region. And what, what do you see as the different challenges when you're dealing with a US company that's in the e-commerce market or a company in Asia in the e-commerce market? What, what are the differences that you see as far as challenges or just um, different types of business that they're doing. Yeah, so I think it's easy for people to look at these macro stats and say, you know, oh, uh, much more of a proclivity towards mobile commerce, much more of, uh, you know, mobile wallet spending in these regions. 
or uh, you know you get different kinds of startups being created as, as a result. I think what's harder is for these globally minded companies to actually internalize what that means and to change their product as a result. And I at least have found that um, there is absolutely no substitute for actually coming, meeting with companies, seeing how people think about the region. And so we spend a lot of time in Singapore and in Hong Kong and in the markets that we're planning on launching in, because then what we see is you get these you know, totally interesting and different kinds of use cases springing up, everyone from you know, Gobi bikes uh, uh, here in Hong Kong to, uh, to Carousel in, uh, in Singapore. You actually get pretty different sorts of companies as a result. So let's switch a little bit uh, direction here. We've, we've now, you know, we've talked about the customer you're, sh you're selling to that have been expanding globally. How about your own expansion globally? What have been the challenges that you faced? Sure. Uh, so Stripe's global expansion is a little bit different to other companies you might have come across, which is, you know, with a lot of companies, they have to operationally set up a product for a new market. And so, you know, they take the same product and maybe they localize it and they hire people in the region. And, you know, there you go. It's good. With Stripe, it's different because our product, you know, payments is very cultural, payments is very local. Our product actually has to change as we go into these new regions. And so that defines our go-to-market strategy where, you know, we spent two years testing in, in Hong Kong before we were, you know, re ready and willing to, to actually launch the product and, okay, you know, we, we think this is good. It's going to be the same for many other, you know, countries in, uh, in Southeast Asia. And so in Hong Kong, in Hong Kong that's what, uh, you know, determined our ne the need for uh, things like Alipay and WeChat Pay. We didn't think the product was good enough to launch before we had those things. Uh, and that's how we kind of continue to expand on a global basis, is get up and running early in a market, actually start seeing what businesses need based on their feedback, and then work that into the product roadmap. And I think that's a little different to, to how some other companies do it. Let's go to partnerships. You have some of the biggest names in tech, Google and Apple and Twitter and now Ali and also WeChat. What, what, are the, what are the significance of these partnerships, and what, they, what have they done for building a company like Stripe? Yeah, you know, the, if you're building uh, a payment product uh, like Stripe, I think you, you can take two approaches. One is you can say, okay, we're going to try to build the entire network ourselves and own that. And so we are going to own the consumer side of things, we're going to own the seller side of things, uh, and that's how we're going to expand. We're not going to partner with anyone. We don't think that can work on a global scale. Because again, if you just look at how many payment players there are in all the various markets, you have uh, Alipay and WeChat Pay in China, you have Paytm in India, you have in the US, traditionally a credit card market now, Apple Pay and Android Pay getting, uh, getting really big. And so I don't think it's feasible for you to try to you know, develop this proprietary payment network uh, and have that be your strategy, even though that is the strategy that some people follow. Uh, so our point of view is totally different. We say, okay, we're providing the infrastructure for the business, and then we are going to go and aggressively partner with whatever consumers want to pay with and, and actually be relatively agnostic in, in, in what consumers use. What that's meant is that Stripe has had to get good at partnering as sort of a, a corporate competency. This has driven the shape of the organization that, that we have built. So for the entrepreneurs in the audience, what's your advice on getting that first partnership? It's, it's never easy, and so it would be great if you sort of could humanize the experience and, and share that with them. Partnering, especially when you're smaller, is hard. I mean, I remember those conversations, and I remember how long it took for, for this stuff to get up and running. You have to think about it from the partner's point of view. What are they getting out of this? partnership, you know, wh wh what, is, um, wh what is in it for them. And if you can't construct a reason in your mind as to why the partner should be really excited about that, then 
you're not going to have much success with that. And so part of what's useful about the way we structure our partnerships is, you know, say with Apple Pay and Android Pay, or now with you know, the news this week, uh, Alipay and, and WeChat Pay on a global basis, you know, the, the more transaction volume we can bring to those networks, you know, the happier they are from a revenue perspective. We are helping them with their strategic aims too. So, so that's one. But the other thing I want to say on, on, on partnering too is I think too many people on partnerships tend to get very launch focused. And so you know, they see partnerships as getting to the press release, getting to the announcement, getting to the product integration. And all of our most successful partnerships Getting the thing launched, that has, you know, that's step one. I mean, again, look at what we just announced with App, Alipay and, uh, and WeChat Pay. Well, in, a, in a sense, we've now done the easy part, which we, we've gotten it out there. And not because that part is easy, but the part to come is much harder, which is actually getting adopt it adopted, actually rolling it out on a global basis to a large number of businesses. And so I think too many people get hung up on the, on the launch part of partnerships and not on making them really big and successful. Do you, do you expect to see U.S. e-commerce companies integrate Alipay and WeChat into their platforms? Oh, absolutely. Uh, I mean, we wouldn't have done it otherwise. Uh, you know, as I just mentioned, we don't do these things for the press releases. We do them because we think they're going to be a significant driver of our business. But uh, the demand for foreign goods in China is there. You know, it's predicted to be $150 billion by yes. 2020. Uh, there are a number of American companies who have succeeded in you know, uh, starting to sell significantly in the Chinese market in a big way. Traditionally, you know, Apple has done very well. Luxury goods companies have done very well. And if you're an e-commerce company, uh, you know, that is a very natural place to want to expand to. There's also the uh, the vector of uh, lots of tourists uh, from China visiting, say, the U.S. market and wanting to use their local payment methods. Uh, but yeah, no, we absolutely think it's going to be a big for Western merchants going forward. So taking that forward, wh what do you see for payments over the next three to five years? I mean, where do you, where do you think the world goes, and how does it get shaped very differently than where we are today? Well. An interesting thing that's happened up to now is that the payments infrastructure that we've had has shaped the online economy in a, in a tail wagging the dog sort of sense. And so you look at and you start to ask the question of why is it the case that you have different paid products in China or India or Southeast Asia or the United States. And a big part of the reason is because you know, we have these different internet economies in each region. It's like the DVD region lock system. You know, everyone is using the same technology, but, but, but they're segmented and, and can't talk to each other. And so what we would like to see and what we're hopefully going to be some part of, of, of making happen is you get less of an effect where the, the payments infrastructure is, is shaping and driving the companies that people cr can create. And instead, the companies that people can create are driving the payments infrastructure. Uh, we do not people want to be, to be constrained in the markets they can enter just by virtue of being able to reach consumers there. And, 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 but, but you know, just going back, I mean, how do you feel about the, the wallets versus the traditional payment methods or credit cards? I mean, do you see them continuing to coexist? Or do you see at some point you know, digital wallets really taking over from the physical card? Alipay and WeChat Pay will continue to be really big in their domestic markets. The US is not moving off credit cards anytime soon, though you are seeing significant improvement in the user experience with a move towards things like the, um, the Apple and Google provided mobile wallets. Similarly, in Europe, you have a whole different payment market there again. And so 
uh, people want there to be a you know a simple answer of it's all going to move to mobile wallets or something like that. But it's it's quite heterogeneous actually. It is potentially getting more heterogeneous rather than less because more people are coming online, especially if you look at places like Indonesia. You know, there are so many people coming online and you're going to see new digital payment methods there. And so as a business, it's not going to be the case that you're going to have a simple answer for, you know, we can just integrate credit cards and call it a day. You're going to have to deal with more payment methods in the future. And so that's where you guys come in for the for this e-commerce company. You basically simplify all of this and let them accept whatever payment method they they want. Well, just because it's a fact of life. You know, right. if you want to address a large global audience, this is going to be something that you're going to need to have to do. Yeah. And then just, uh, just continuing on, on what's next. I mean, if you had to really say what are the outliers, what you know, e-commerce and payments will look like in a couple of years. You know, what, what technology, if you were going to put on a hat of just dreaming of what's the impossible becomes possible, what would you say it is? So anytime you have a major platform shift, you have all sorts of companies that, uh, that are possible as a result. And an interesting thing to note is that uh, it generally takes a few years for, the, for those companies to actually appear and start being built. Yeah. And so you take just the original rise of the number of internet-connected consumers uh, and Google and Facebook resulting out of that. You know, now we have a web. You know, we can build a search product for the web. We can build a social network. The interesting thing is that you know, Google you know, grew up in the early 2000s. Facebook was founded in 2004. We had lots of people on the internet in the mid-1990s, but it took a while for those companies to be created. What we absolutely see is that you know, if you look at the companies that will be created from the smartphone boom, those have not all been created yet. There is still a huge number of them to be created from now. Uh, and the particular trend we're seeing is that mobile companies are springing up, and from an economic point of view, you know, uh, less than 5% of global consumer spending happens online today. The remaining 95% is offline. And so the way that will be moved online, the way we'll see that 5% grow to, say, 50%, is by people building mobile-enabled companies. And we see this all over, right? You know, we see uh, the company I mentioned, Gobi Bikes in Hong Kong. You know, you, you have your phone, you scan a QR code, you're off on your bike, and they have, you know, c coverage all over here. There's uh, Kluke, a travel company. Uh, you, you have uh, Carousel, which I mentioned is, uh, uh, they're basically doing a better version of eBay, mobile-enabled, and again, uh, trade that traditionally would have been done with cash, now moving into the, uh, the internet world. And so we're, we're just going to keep seeing these mobile-enabled companies, mobile-enabled marketplaces shaping consumer behavior and driving things into the online world. You know, how, how do you see the payment methods even changing in point of sale as people move from online back to offline? Yeah, the, the, the big thing that we're seeing in uh, point of sale is that people want to have a continued recurring relationship with the customer. Uh, and so everything that you're seeing in that world is, uh, and you know, all the changes that you're seeing, people say uh, retailers are trying to move people to apps, or you're getting, I mean, sometimes the point of sale is uh, disappearing entirely. You know, say when, when you take a, you know, if you take a ride with Grab Taxi, you know, that they have a persistent concept of who you are, so they can have a persistent relationship with you. But we are seeing gradually point of sale devices going away and being replaced by some kind of app, some kind of, uh, you know, identifier with an email 
email address such that people have a persistent relationship with the customer and can build better products as a result. Regardless, offline, web, mobile, it doesn't matter anymore. It doesn't matter, yeah. It's all becoming blended in and seamless as we go. Yeah. So we're now going to be in a world of no borders and seamless between online and offline. Yeah, and I mean, <laughs> saying it that way makes it sound very simple. We're going to get there in fits and starts. Yes. But if you look at the gradual trends, the rise in cross-border commerce, the rise in the number of companies selling to you know on a global scale, the number of companies that have a billion users globally, I mean, that would have seemed ludicrous uh, five or 10 years ago. And, and now there are a number of companies that have hit that scale. And so those secular trends are somewhat inevitable. Asia here, we've got uh, about 2 billion people that are online, right? Hard to ignore a growing middle class. About 60% of the world's population is going to be here. So I'll come back to the question. You know, Singapore and Hong Kong are relatively small markets. What's next in Asia? <laughs> Yeah, so we have started with the, the markets in a way in the U, um, in Southeast Asia that are m most like the U.S. Uh, uh, in that they have uh, you know high credit card penetration uh, and things like that. The, the, the kinds of markets we're now going to and the remaining markets in Southeast Asia uh, are very different in an interesting way for us, which is you often have much more of a focus on mobile wallets and just many more people being brought into the internet economy and being brought into the online fold. And so that's why you see you know, Stripe's rollout plan, we, we just, we can't take the same product that we've had in our other markets and kind of slap it on these new markets and, and expect it to work. And so it actually requires a significant amount of retooling on our end to make the right product for startups there. But, you know, as we look at all these countries in Southeast Asia, the core Stripe mission of making it easy for people to start internet businesses, that's almost more needed in these countries than, than, than in the countries we've come from. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they don't have payment expertise on, in staff, and they haven't dealt with all the multiple payment options in the past. So very easy to see where Stripe can play a very significant role in the development of e-commerce, especially in ASEAN. Fingers crossed. You know, we're, we're quite early in our journey, but we're, we're very optimistic about what's to come. Well, I'm sure, you know, we all have a lot of confidence that we'll continue to see Stripe uh, help the market grow and be an integral part of uh, ASEAN's development as well as the rest of Asia. And John, thank you very much uh, for really, I think uh, it was a great opening session and Stripe and sharing your experience at Stripe and where Stripe is headed for the future. Thank, thank you. you. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed that, be sure to join us again every Wednesday for more from the Next Stage podcast by Web Summit.